0: Welcome to the Fish Nerds, uh, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Grove's chief executive fish nerd of the podcast, and I'm so glad you are listening. Before we get into today's content, I need a huge, solid favor from all of you listeners out there. Here's what you do. Go to podcastawards.com, and you're going to want to register for this site, your email address, and you're in. And then I want you to go to the category called Sports and Recreation and nominate the Fish Nerds for a podcast award. This is our chance to finally hit the big time and win thousands of dollars in cash and prizes. I don't think there's any money involved. But uh, it would put us on the map and help us get some recognition. And if you like our show, nominate us. It would be so cool to see a fishing podcast win instead of like a baseball or basketball or whatever. Whatever foosballs out there. So go to PodcastAwards.com, nominate the Fish Nerds for the Sports and Recreation category. And if other podcasts you like are on there, you know, nominate them too, and that's fine. But Fish Nerds, please, we need your help. PodcastAwards.com. All right. Wow. So on today's show, we have Doc Martin and Fish Guy Josh. Doc Martin and Fish Guy Josh are two correspondents from the Fish Nerds podcast. Doc Martin is a fisheries biologist in Kansas, and Fish Guy Josh is a biologist out in California, and they have a brand new segment called Fish of the Day. Also on the show tonight, we're going to do some really cool fish in the news and learn all about a girl who was attacked by a giant fish. Uh, We're going to talk with the person who helped make that story happen. And we also have a great stump, the fish nerds. Stay tuned. Tonight's show is action-packed. All right. Well, first up is Doc Martin and Fish Guy Josh talking all about their fish of the day. If you like what they're doing, come over to Facebook to our group and tell them, Hey, Fish Guy Josh and, Hey, Doc Martin, I like what you're doing. If you don't like it, then, you know, stop listening, I guess. (laughs)
1: seafood platters, and a fish of the day.
2: A what? A fish of the day! Fish nerds, I am back. After a long hiatus, I have jumped back into the segment producing game, and I have joined forces with none other than Doc Martin to bring back Fish of the Day. Dr. Martin, it is great to finally talk to you.
1: I think this is the first time that Doc Martin and Josh are having a conversation together, which is I feel like a big deal. This is an anniversary now.
2: Yeah. Worlds <laughs> <laughs> Worlds are colliding when Fish Guy Josh and Doc Martin finally Get to touch base.
1: I think when we're both like super kind of sciencey nerds, right? So I mean, this could be we could be unstoppable at this point.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm actually (laughs) I'm actually surprised this is the first time, given um, that we kind of have sort of similar backgrounds as far as what we do for work.
1: I agree, and I I mean, hasn't the podcast been going for like three or four years now? I think. (laughs)
2: Quite a long time, uh, and you and I have never done anything more than <laughs> questions back and forth on Facebook Messenger. That's about it.
1: We're stepping our game up here. We're gonna <laughs> geek out. But uh,
2: <laughs> I feel I feel like we're friends because I've listened to you on the podcast so much, though.
1: Aww. <laughs> Depending on who that comes from, that could also be really creepy. But it's from you, so it's okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't know me, but.
1: <laughs> I would say I don't well, know if you want to cut this out or not But I've gotten some creepy messages from our fans Out there so it happens <laughs>
2: <laughs> I Anything's possible Anything's possible <laughs> Well So today I Called you on board to uh, Resurrect one of my Personal favorite Segments of Fish Nerds And that was when uh, Dave and Clay Would talk to you and um, you'd kind of focus on a specific fish for the conversation and that was that was one of my one of my highlights as far as listening to the podcast and um because we've all kind of shifted gears of what we're recording these days and how we're doing it. um I love all your new stuff, but I was like, man, I really really missed that and amazing James and I haven't really had a chance to record much these days because of his new position um, at work here so I was trying to think of ways that I could kind of get back in the game. And I thought, you know what? How about I take over the role of talking to the good doctor about (laughs) a fish of the day?
1: All right. We're we're bringing it back.
2: We are bringing it back. I like it. And And, and this is
1: one of my favorite segments, too, because I just get a species and then I just find out things. It's like a puzzle, especially for the ones (laughs) I've never heard of before. It's pretty great.
2: (laughs) Great. Uh, Yeah, I think it's going to go well. Um but I guess we'll see at the end of this recording.
1: <laughs> Maybe this will just so, be a one-time resurrection. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Clay might go, okay, that's that's okay, guys. Thanks. It's
1: too much geekery in one place. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, let's get right to it, shall we?
1: Oh, certainly. So- All
2: righty. So I threw out the first fish for you um, for our inaugural discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cobia. Um. Now that is a fish that has a lot of um, sentiment to me, because uh, even though it's a it's it's a popular sports fish, it tastes delicious. Uh, it's a great fish to catch. Um, that was a fish that I actually did a little research on um, back in college. I worked at a, a marine lab called Lumcon, and um, where's that at? I did some. It's uh it's in Cocodrie, Louisiana, which is. Um, right along the Gulf south of my hometown of Homa. So it's about an hour and a half outside of New Orleans. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a job there, actually, as a freshman in undergrad. Um, so when I left college, I had you know five years of working in this lab under my belt, which was fantastic. But um, one of the projects I kind of got to do on my own was um, captive breeding of cobia so we got to go out and catch him hook and line which was awesome and then we did like some hormone induced uh spawning stuff based on like the moon phases and whatnot and it was really cool they were always one of my favorite fish so that's that's why i chose that in case you were wondering where'd he pull cobia out of
1: well i was wondering because i also know that you're currently in california and even though these guys are very widely distributed um in the warm tropic equator, they are not found on the Pacific coast of North America.
2: Not at all. I would, um, I would guess maybe too cold.
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, if they I had have to a, guess, they have, that have a would pretty good, they have a pretty wide distribution. Um, I'm not sure, I guess what the temperature differences are. They look like they go plenty north of, well, maybe not. I mean, I'm looking at their distribution map here. Maybe that is too far north for them.
2: Maybe so. Yeah. But yeah, that's because they're not here. Maybe I just sort of the, you know, the longing. The lonely heart. Yeah. <laughs> the lonely heart longs for the cobia, so I uh It's like your I first love. Just, yeah. <laughs> so I thought I'd pull uh our first fish uh from uh, you know, just some of my favorites from back home in Louisiana. I mean, I I go back there all the time, so I it's definitely still home to me, so I, I love uh, you know remembering all the cool fish that I that I grew up working with down there.
1: I actually got to go to Louisiana last summer. Oh gosh, was it last summer or the summer before that? Now <laughs> I don't remember. Um, to the um, ASIH, American Society of Ichthyologists and Herpetologists meeting that i'm part of and so i went down to new orleans they were there last year and that i remember is also the 10th anniversary uh, and the same conference in the same city where i met my phd advisor
0: so oh yeah
1: yeah i I think i told that story when i came back
2: i think you did yeah (laughs) because i remember um yeah, I remember seeing you were in New Orleans, and mm-hmm. I think I made a few suggestions of things that are fun to do there. That's cool.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun, So, but that's a, so you were about in my only... You were in Cobia Central. Yeah, but I didn't get to go out on the ocean <laughs> at all. I just I got to listen and watch PowerPoint presentations of all the cool stuff in the ocean <laughs> instead, so it was very exciting. Lots of statistics. Take our word for it.
2: It's out there. <laughs>
1: but, right on. All right, so I have a well, question um, for you. Okay. Can you pronounce the genus and species name of this fish cuz you're so familiar with it
2: okay let's see
1: <laughs> um i'm putting you on the racky
2: centron canadum yeah uh,
1: that's what i would have gone with yes that's 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 what i kind of assumed Um, Okay. I always like to do a little bit of etymology. So just like what word parts mean, because I think it's really fun. Um, Also, the Greek slash Latin taxonomic names tend to be really scary to people that don't get exposed to Greek and Latin every day, which I think is probably Mm. most people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So the uh, Raki centron, that's the genus name that is from Greek. And it just means a stinging spine. And so I bet since you have a lot of experience handling these guys, you probably know why they're called Racky Centron.
2: I'm guessing (laughs) it has to do with a spine.
1: Well, it's a stinging spine. (laughs) And from what I've gathered, since I've never handled these myself, is that their fins, maybe their dorsal fin especially, is incredibly pokey. Is that correct?
2: You know, it's... When I was handling them, um, we were handling some kind of larger fish, and I guess it's kind of like when you handle a larger catfish, the spine sort of sort of becomes less potent as far as a weapon the fish has. Um, you know, they get kind of bigger and dull, and, mm-hmm. and I don't really recall ever coming close to being spined by large ones but I would I would venture to say the smaller ones it, just like a smaller catfish is probably a little more they get you uh, dangerous <laughs> to handle yeah. yeah
1: very cool and then of course uh, Canada most people could probably figure that one out is a Canada so like the America's hat <laughs> that's just a little bit north of us um, yeah. and that's just a type locality so that's not necessarily okay. very exciting.
2: <laughs> I I do remember that was my uh that was one of the um triggers to help me remember that in my my undergrad fish class when they'd lay out all the the specimens for us and we had to write down write down the different names. Mm-hmm. I remember like Canada was always my my trigger word when I'd see the cobia. It's, it's a Canadian cobia.
1: Oh, there you go. CC. Yeah. That's what it is when you have to take the ichthyology class. You have to memorize all those scientific names and taxonomic classifications. Word games like that is what gets you through.
2: <laughs> now, in your research, did you happen to come across the other common name that this fish is called? Because I think a lot of people don't know what a cobia is uh, based on that name.
1: So... Um, I did come across a giant list of, I think, thirty different names that wow. the cobia is called. Um, <laughs> I guess
2: if you have a wide distribution, it's probably got a ton of them.
1: Right. So I would bet, depending on wherever you are in the world, it probably has its own special name. And which one are the which one are you familiar with?
2: Well, the one I'm familiar with that probably a lot of the fish nerd nation might know is lemon fish.
1: Oh, okay, the lemon fish. That
2: that is a pretty common name where I'm from, and I've I've heard it on the East Coast a bit too. And I th- I don't know for sure why, but I think because the meat kind of has a lemon yellow color to it.
1: Oh, that would
2: be my guess. Now that's just a guess.
1: Sure. Interesting. But I'm
2: very curious what else what else you're you're hearing these fish called.
1: Oh, well, I'm 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 not hearing them called anything. <laughs> what,
2: what's the, what's the word on the street?
1: Um, well, cobia is the the proper one, and let's see if I can find my list of names. Give me one second here. Where is that? Nope, not that one.
2: <laughs> I always thought cobia was the cooler sounding name.
1: Cobia, it's fun to say. Okay, all right, I got my list here. Cobia, um, black
2: kingfish. Oh. oh, yeah, kingfish. And then Never this is
1: been. the one I heard. So, like, they're really big aquaculture fish, which we can touch on in a second because there's some really cool research there. But okay. since I guess Cobia doesn't sound delicious or lemonfish maybe doesn't sound delicious, they are sold as food fish labeled as black salmon Hmm. Um, which of course they are not black, nor are they salmon, (laughs) salmon. (laughs) like not even close.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So they, they do look really cool though. I think one of the reasons I always liked them, um, is when we, we see them, it's usually out on the rigs in the Gulf of Mexico, like fishing off the rigs. And, um. They're they're so big and menacing looking. They're almost like they swim like a shark, but they they look a lot like a remora. Actually,
1: they do Sands look like the a remora. suction cup. Yes, yeah, they're really pretty fish. They have a nice big dorsal fin.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: don't. I can't tell. I think there's is there caudal fin. Is it heterocercal or is it? The same on both ends. Do they have a heterocercal tail? I doubt it, since they're perciformes.
2: I think it's the same, but yeah. it's, I'd have to bring up a picture. It's been a while since I've just seen a nice, beautiful cobia. Yeah. I'm
1: just looking at some of the photos that I grabbed off the the internet, which, of course, we know oh, we can always trust. You. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, always. But I always. I
1: think it looks like uh, the tail is the same at the top and bottom. So. I think it is. But, yeah, they have definitely yeah, have that flat uh, shark kind of belly with the big dorsal fin. So yeah. I can see where. And their, yeah.
2: their mouth is just like this. When they open their mouth to eat something, it's just like it's like a grouper or something. Just <laughs> this suction that comes in. Just poof, and the food is just gone.
1: <laughs> and they are predatory fish as well. So oh, yeah. they eat lots of different fishes and crabs and squids and things, which is pretty cool. So when have you you said you fished for them using a hook and line? Yeah,
2: yeah. Hook and line was our our method of catching uh, the fish for research because we were going for broodstock, so we wanted some nice big fish.
1: So what kind of bait did you use?
2: Uh, you know, a lot of squid and I think like sardine, that sort of thing. So fishes and um, although yeah. a, a lot of people um, use different artificial lures on them out out on the rigs. I mean, it's it's a It's a pretty uh, fun, sought-after fish in Louisiana, for sure.
1: Very cool. And uh, from what I read about their basic um, reproduction and growth and all of that, they tend to uh, grow and mature relatively quickly. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. um, in, like, two or three years... Um, and then they live for 10 to 13 ish years, depending on the sex of the individual, of course. So that's really good, which that's, that's a good indication. Early age at maturity means they have lots of chances to reproduce. Those are some indicators that say, Hey, this is probably a good fish for food and, you know, sport and things like yeah. that. They're, they're not really in danger of, you know, be going extinct or having any negative yeah. population problems. So that's good. Yay. Yeah. I think the last several of these fish nerd <laughs> minutes I did, it was all just really depressing because it's like, yeah, population's in decline and you shouldn't do this and that.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
1: this one's actually kind of a fun one. It's got a really great aquaculture base already Um that there's a ton of research out there on the aquaculture on not only, you know, the best ways to raise these fish for consumption or whatever, but also to do it in a very sustainable way, which I thought was very cool. So I don't know if you are, you you said you do, you have done aquaculture with these guys. Well, this be a while ago, I suppose.
4: Yeah, we're
2: talking, um, you know, the late nineties, maybe 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a while and I, and I was pretty green then. And it was basically, um, we were, um, taking brood stock from the wild. We put them in these big, uh, big round recirculating water systems. And when we hit the proper moon phase for when these fish normally, um, aggregate and aggregate and spawn, um, we would remove the fish, stick them in, uh, uh, knock them out uh, with MS two two two, and give him hormone injections to try and induce uh, spawning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't do any larval grow out. So, so what I've done was was pretty, you know, just scratch the surface kind of stuff. So I. I'd love to hear uh, some of the interesting, more interesting stuff you found about him.
1: Oh, sure. So, just uh, some basics with aquaculture uh, with these, this specific species, not just aquaculture in general. Although I would imagine there is definitely some overlap. Um, but the very first reported aquaculture uh, research uh, on the cobia was in 1975. Um, so I think Clay is always the the one that says that I'm unusually young. <laughs> So that was that was over. That was let's see, over a decade before I was born, without actually getting you guys to know how old I am. (laughs) So I think they always try and get it out of me, but no one's really quite sure. Um, So that's kind of fun. There's your your, your Easter egg for those who want to try and figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then so that that first one started in 1975 with just a collection of some wild caught cobia eggs off the coast of north carolina which is pretty cool and the research paper itself just kind of described the larval development um it went on for uh, about 130 days and then it just stopped and said hey guess what we grew these larval cobia and uh it's they're good ta-da and so (laughs) then it just kept going and more research started cropping up in the 80s kept going into the 90s um and I think the U.S. and China are kind of the very first countries that reported captive spawning of this species, which is pretty cool. So yeah, the U.S. and China are
2: number heard a lot about number uh, ones. Uh, <laughs> Taiwan and China for mm-hmm. sure. When I when when we were kind of looking into other uh, groups and their research, um, I, that definitely came up a lot. I remember. So
1: yeah, it's pretty neat. And the really cool thing, this is my, my fun fact on these guys. Um, it turns out, uh, I don't know if this is unfortunate or not. I guess it depends on if you're an aquaculturist or not. Um, but almost all of the research I could find on Cobia was exclusively dealing with aquaculture, how to prevent diseases, how to prevent malnutrition, all this other stuff, how to make the meat taste better, uh, basic care. So, I'd say 99.9% of all the research published on Cobia is directly related to aquaculture techniques. (laughs) Um, So my fun facts... Have to deal with aquaculture techniques. Woo! Um, All right, <laughs> let's,
2: let's have some fun.
1: Sure, and so <laughs> with aquaculture so
2: techniques, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, it's not going to be too technique-y, which is good. Um, so, uh, one of the scientists, his last name is Watson, and he worked with some colleagues, and they have been working on a feed mixture for cobia that is entirely plant derived, yet satisfies wow. the nutritional requirements of cobia which are predatory so they're eating fish and squids which which is obviously not plant derived right those are animals so it was pretty cool um that came out in 2013 i couldn't find cool. anything more recent that said if it really did work or not or if it got if this plant derived food is now widely used i couldn't find yeah. that so that would be I, would, I think that'd be fun to know but it's cool that they were you developing know,
2: that's, it <laughs> that's um, interesting I know a lot of my or at least a fair portion of, of my career has been um, in commercial aquaculture equipment or also aquaculture research and uh, that's that's always been um, sort of a a big thing that, that they, they try and do is establish those non-fish meal feeds I know we mm-hmm. had um, at Hubs I used to work at a hub sea world research institute in san diego and um we had a lot of guys come in that were interested in using soybean meal uh to replace or at least partially replace the fish meal that they were using uh in in all the the pellets they were feeding so i i wouldn't doubt that that's that's probably the uh you know the big key to making aquaculture Mm -hmm. you know easy cheap and uh something that almost anybody can do
1: and more sustainable environmentally friendly i think is another goal of that that switch oh yeah
2: i mean all all the 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 smaller fish that are caught Mm -hmm. just to make fish meal i mean it's unbelievable the amounts of fish that are that are taken just for that you know that purpose alone
1: that'd be a whole other podcast
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, Right on.
1: Yeah. So I just, just a couple more fun facts, uh, or just facts. I don't know. You can decide if they're fun (laughs) or not, I guess. Um,
2: (laughs) The fun is up to you. The fun
1: is all, it's in your hands. Um, (laughs) So the, just so so the fans that are listening know um, how big these fish get. So Ooh, yeah. yeah, because they're not small.
2: <laughs> no, they are not. So
1: if you can imagine they're sexually maturing between two and three years old. They live up to fifteen years. Um, you yeah, know, that's not that that's a decent aged fish, I think. Uh certainly mm-hmm. not as long as like the Greenland shark, which has several hundred, but not everyone can be a rock star. <laughs> um He's got
2: a couple years on him. Yeah,
1: a couple a couple. <laughs> um the average length that you find these guys, the cobia in, is about three and a half feet long. But they can get almost twice that. They can get about six and a half feet. Oh, so yeah. that's tall that's a lot taller than me. I'm not a tall person. <laughs> <laughs> and, I yeah.
2: they are they are an impressive fish. Um when you when you find one of those large specimens. I I'd love to I've seen them from the boat in the clear water, but I would love to actually hop in the water and do some snorkeling or something off a reef. Yeah. Maybe next time I I do that.
1: Well, that would be freaking great. And also I'm going to be down, I think, uh, around the Bahamas. I believe that they occur there. Cool. So I'm going to be going there in December. So maybe I'll get a chance to do some diving and snorkeling. I'm taking a class, um, out there for a, Two week field biology course in the Bahamas. Okay. So I don't know if I'll have much time to actually do anything fun for me. But it's not all about me, I guess. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sure you'll make the best of the Bahamas.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, gosh, I guess.
2: <laughs> I guess.
1: <laughs> over oh, and over Christmas too, when it's nice and warm up in Kansas. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Well, right on. Hopefully, um, yeah. Hopefully, you get a chance to see them or maybe uh, partake in a nice uh, cobia steak or something. Yeah, uh, I- they are definitely a delicious fish, and it, like you said, I, I, um, I didn't really think about it when I first selected the fish, but it is kind of refreshing to have a story where you know the fish has a lot of aquaculture potential and success already, mm-hmm. but also in the wild, it's Doing well. It's a great sport fish.
1: You don't um, have to feel like this horrible cloud of guilt over you for wanting to eat a fish.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It is, and and then they're just they're just freaking cool.
1: They are. They're and they're so big. Like I yeah. wasn't sure. Um, I didn't know how big they got. And so I just started looking at photos and a lot of them, since it's aquaculture, they show like the larva, right? The little fry and juveniles. And I'm like, Oh, those are cute little fish. Look at those guys. Then then I was like, maximum length, six and a half feet and 150 pounds. Holy cow. That's bigger than I am.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And you can kind of see on some of the larger photos, you get a good, a good look at those. What I'm, I don't know for sure but I'm guessing uh where they get that spine name from is above the dorsal they kind of have this you can kind of see this little row of of spines right in front there oh. and a lot of the fish hold them oh, down
1: Oh yeah I yeah. see them now
2: So if if you get the right the right image and that's why I said like the handling them is never really a big deal cuz they they're not like a lot of like catfish, kind of stick their spines out and lock them in. Yes, I don't really recall having that problem when I was handling them. And you can also see the bigger fish; you kind of hold by the tail and under the belly, so it's not really a a danger. But I would, I would venture to say that is where the uh, spine came from in their scientific name.
1: Oh, I have a question for you.
2: All right, do they have do, do they have teeth? They. Not really. I mean it's it's like your typical like fine teeth. Okay. Um it's more they they inhale their prey and anything big enough just like a catfish. Mm-hmm. The those those teeth are just kind of there to hold them while they kind of reposition the fish and swallow it mm-hmm. again. Um Gotcha. No, 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 like, barracuda-like teeth or anything like that.
1: And I do want to mention just briefly, since we're talking about a few different critters right now, uh, catfish, that's a siluriformes. That's the order. And then these guys are actually an order of So they are in, like, the perch family. So not when we... When when Josh is saying, "Oh, it's like a catfish," da, 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 da. like yes, it is like that, but it's totally different order of fishes. So just not just, a catfish, yes, not a catfish. But it's Teeth like that's close enough.
2: to a catfish.
1: <laughs> so I just like to be specific.
2: Yes, and that's that's the whole you know the whole point of me targeting you for this segment.
1: uh Oh, no pressure. Yeah. No,
2: it's like hey, you know, like the back of your hand. You're like, by the way. Persiformes guys, remember.
1: Persiformes, it's important. Taxonomy gotta, is important.
2: That's right. <laughs> we got to keep keep the nerds in line.
1: That's right. No false identification well, right on. on my watch.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was interesting. I, it was nice to uh, kind of refresh my memory a little bit about one of my favorite sport fish back home.
1: Yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime geek out
2: i i would love that um we'll talk to clay if he gives us the thumbs up let's you know let's keep fish of the day going i think it's uh i think it was a lot of people's favorite thing it was it was a really interesting uh segment you used to do and i was like i said it was first on my list of things i wanted to record um was bringing back this this particular uh topic of a specific fish
1: all right. Well, now it has been brought in, so and, and I would give <laughs> bonus points to any fan that can name the movie that I just quoted right there. <laughs> 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 but I'm not going to tell you; it's a secret. So
2: and and also, uh, speaking of fans, if they do have um, specific fish they'd like to see on Fish of the Day, mm-hmm. to please contact the Fish Nerds Facebook or. Whatever way they like to contact the fish nerds and say, "Hey, Doc Martin, how about you cover uh, this favorite fish of mine?" That's right. We'll see what right. we can do.
1: And if you have, if you, as in the fans, have any trouble finding me on the Facebook page, you can just call out to anybody that you know, and one of those people will be able to tag me so I can read your comment.
2: Definitely. Well, the good doctor. It's it was a pleasure talking to you.
1: Another fish in the bank.
2: Another fish in the bank. (laughs) Or on the bank. All right. Well, (laughs) um, enjoy your trip. And uh, I look forward to discussing more fish of the day in the future.
1: All right. This was really fun. It was nice to finally have an actual conversation with fish guy Josh.
2: Same here. (laughs)
0: Wow, thanks Doc Martin and Fish Guy Josh. Fabulous stuff. Thank you for being part of the show. I learned more about Cobia than I thought I ever wanted to know and uh, they are really cool fish. Thank you. Cool. And now time for some Stump the Fish Nerds. If you want your fishy questions answered, call 607-378-FISH and leave us a voicemail. I'll be happy to play your voicemail on our show and answer your fishy questions. Now, this week's Stump the Fish Nerds is really great. But before I get to that, if you like our show, go to patreon.com slash fishnerds and donate $1 per episode. Keeps the show going, helps us pay for all of our bandwidth and our swag and all the cool things. uh, Patreon.com slash fishnerds and donate $1 per episode and I will be your bestest friend. Now here is Stump the Fish Nerds. Again, 607-378-FISH gets you into the Fish Nerds. Action.
5: Hi Clay, this is Reed from Minnesota. Um, I've got I'm curious about hooking mortality and water depth. Um, when you you catch a fish from especially deep water, sw- swim bladder will go popping out of their mouth. Um, I've seen videos of people catching crappies and then blowing the swim bladder back into the fish and throwing it down the hole as if it's going to be able to swim back down to its previous depth and survive, I have no idea. It seems hard to imagine that that would work. Um, I also wonder at what depth does that become a problem? I generally ice fish in lakes that are about 20 feet or less. I never encountered this firsthand because I'm never fishing this fish that deep. Um, But it kind of makes me shy away from doing any bottom fishing in extremely deep water. I know you're going out to the ocean and doing some reef fishing and bottom fishing sometime soon, and imagine that there's going to be some things that you catch that you don't want to keep.
0: Um, How do you handle it?
5: At what point is it a problem? That's all I got for now. Um.
0: Okay, Reed. thank you so much for your call. So the question is, what is it like for a fish when you release it uh, after it's been caught in deep, deep water? All right, this is from, what I did was I I checked out, the state of New Jersey has a great uh, resource on this. Excuse my cold here. Uh, And they actually have a form called, Down We Go, Effective Deep Water Catch and Release. I'll put a link up on our uh, website for this document. But fish get what's called barotrauma. When fish are brought up from deep, deep waters, their uh, stomach actually, pokes out of their mouth. Most people think it's their, their air bladder, but it's not. It's their stomach. And it's just they're coming to pressure so different between the bottom and the top of the water. So it really kind of messes those fish up. Fish with barotrauma, they look like they're stiff, they're dead, their eyes maybe pop out of their heads. They get an enlarged air bladder, which results in the stomach being forced out through their esophagus. It's kind of gross and spooky and terrible looking. And when released, the fish can't get back down. So other fish will eat them So what do we do about it? One approach, which I I don't love, is venting. It's basically you poke a hole in the side of the fish and let the air vent out. and throw it back in the water. Not great for the fish, as you can imagine. Being poked a hole through your body is not good for you. They do make a device called a descender. Uh, Use of this this device, uh, it's preferred to venting. And basically, it's a weight that you hook to the fish and you use that to bring the fish down to the bottom of, of the ocean or wherever you cut it from, allowing it time to, like, repressurize before you release it. It's like deep water releasing. Uh, according to the state of New Jersey, most fish resume normal activity soon after the underwater release. They also recommend you properly handle each fish, you know, when you, when you catch them so you are not have to keep out of the water too long. You're doing all the good catch and release stuff. Uh, And they also point out that descenders are not commonly used on the East Coast, but they wish they were. They don't say it in those words, but you can kind of tell by the tone. So there's a few kinds of, uh, of descenders. One of them looks like a lead weight with a hook, kind of a barbless hook in it. And you attach that to the fish, send it down, kind of shake the hook looks. The other one I really like is an inverted milk crate with weights on it. You put the fish in there, it basically... Brings that fish down really slow to the bottom, and you just lift the crate up with a rope afterwards. So, that's kind of the two main kinds. The state of New Jersey also points out there's very little research on descending devices. I think I might follow up in the future episode uh, and talk about this. I haven't seen any work uh, with descenders in freshwater, but I, you know, ice fishing in deep water, I've caught uh, yellow perch and I've had them have the same issue. So, I, I can definitely see it working there. I might give it a shot this winter and report back. So like I said, so uh, you are right, Reed, to worry about those fish, uh, and we should worry about them. I've seen lots of fish released that just kind of belly up and get eaten by seagulls. I'm going to give a descender a try next time I go out with Captain Sean and see how that works. Thanks for checking in. If you want to call Stump the Fish Nerds, call 607-378-FISH and leave us a voicemail. Okay, I'm here with Mike Volkovan. He's a press operator with the Duluth Tribune. Mike, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, and so, Mike, we're here to talk about uh, this story that we saw come out last week or a few days ago uh, about a, a girl who was bitten by a muskie. Duluth girl recovering from a scary encounter on Island Lake. Um, this is the first I've ever heard about a kid being attacked by a uh, a giant a giant muskie. Um, what do you What do you know about this?
3: Um. I only know what we printed in the Tools News Tribune. Mm-hmm. Um, the story is that this girl was on a paddleboard, uh being towed by her father in a small boat and uh her foot was dangling over the side of the paddleboard and she was bit. And her dad heard her screaming, came around, picked her up out of the off the board and he, uh ended up having her foot free uh mauled up by what appears to be a muskie. Yeah, or can I, only be assumed that is.
0: I saw the photos on there, and online we shared the story on the Fish Nerds group, which is why you, your name came up. Uh, and people were saying, oh, that's fake. It had to be the prop for the motor or something else. Um, and then you chimed in, oh, I'm involved in this. I, I work for the paper. This is a for-real thing. How does the paper determine something like this is a for-real thing?
3: Well, I suppose in all actuality, I mean, I can't determine – Absolutely, that it was real. You're not a musky bite um, expert. <laughs> yeah, in no way am I an expert on the, the situation. Yeah, um, I, uh, it was a pretty shocking story, and it was on the front page of our paper. You know, as we're printing it, all the pressmen are looking around at each other, and talking about it, and uh, it was pretty apparent. I mean, I know the lake well. Um, I know what's in there. Uh, people were talking that it was possibly an otter bite. There was an otter attack in that lake uh back in like two thousand twelve. I'm
0: never going to Duluth, uh, I'm just telling you this right now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um but everybody that, that fishes big fish around here has, has been cut in one way or another. Sure. And you know how damaging those those teeth can be. They're 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 pretty uh pretty aggressive fish and pretty I mean they're they're large and with big teeth and it, it very much resembled what you uh, would expect to happen if that story was legitimate.
0: Yeah, well, it's going to be, it's amazing. The, the cuts on her feet are unbelievable. They're so gross <laughs> and deep. Uh, there's been some talk about a local lore out there, something called One-Eyed Jake. Uh, is it possible One-Eyed Jake was what really attacked her?
3: Well, <laughs> um, as the story goes, it, uh, uh, her grandfather was uh as I understand it, it started that story, mm-hmm. and so I mean it, it's hard to to think that a fish like that could be alive that long, mm-hmm. but you know it it, it definitely adds to an interesting aspect of the story, for uh, this family to have this their own family lore about this this giant muskie, kind of, uh, following or, or predating on, uh, on people of that family, and then this young girl actually does get bit, mm. so it, it's hard to say, but. It definitely makes for an interesting story.
0: Well, for my, the way it's going to work for me is going to be from now on, any big fish that hurts me, I'm going to call one eyed Jake from now on. That's uh, <laughs> the new goal here when I'm fishing with kids. I'm like, look out for one eyed Jake. He's going to get you. Uh, do you think this girl's going to want to go back in the water again? You know, I,
3: <laughs> I was reading the story, and uh, her dad seems to think that she'll be okay mm-hmm. as far as that goes. Um, I can't imagine she's gonna be okay with it. <laughs>
0: um it's spooky, man. I have a freshwater a, system for that to happen, that is scary. For sure. Yeah.
3: I have a daughter myself
0: mm-hmm.
3: and so I was trying to compare what well, you know, how I I would react and how I would uh how she would feel about that. And the only conclusion I could come up with is to uh try to direct her in the the way of be, becoming more of a, a musky hunter. Oh, yeah. I Get think even. that would be an awesome,
0: like, <laughs> yeah,
3: end yeah. of the story or whatever.
0: Right. The the, end, uh, the best ending would be to go go out and catch one-eyed Jake and then eat him <laughs> and go, like, screw you, Jake. <laughs>
3: yeah, I've got a, uh, a buddy that uh, owns and operates Jerry uh, River Tackle out of Grand Portage, Minnesota, and he, he posted a a post about, you know, it was a, a joke, but posted a, a post about, um, starting go a GoFundMe account to go out and hunt this giant muskie because this offense can't be taken for uh lightly, and it was it kind of turning into a enjoyable thing.
0: Oh, I'm in, I'm in. I will give to that account. I would love to <laughs> love to see this, this, this pike on a pike. Boom, that's my pike joke. Um, but yeah, that's fantastic. So, um, when you're working for the paper, there now you it's not your job to determine what's real news and what's, what's fake news and all that. But this one looks no, pretty legitimate, really, no. and the the photos are very good. Now, I want to get your opinion on another news story out of Canada, because okay. you're a news expert. You're my only expert right. I have today.
3: Uh, I wouldn't say that, but uh, we'll go with that.
0: All right. And this is from the World News Daily Report out of Canada. Uh, Canadian fishermen survive sexual assault by dozens of seals. This is a... This is at a Tofino, B.C. A British Columbian commercial fisherman claims he was held captive for 24 hours by a herd of seals after washing up on a small inhabited island during a violent storm off the coast of Vancouver Island. The man was violently thrown off the commercial fishing boat during a heavy storm, was lost at sea, and believed to be dead by Canadian Coast Guard officials. Pete McAllister eventually found his way onto a rock island populated by seagulls and dozens of seals. And this is a quote. I was burned out, freezing cold, and dehydrated. I saw the seals showing signs of aggression, so I played dead. Um, And this is where it gets dirty. Uh, (laughs) He says, uh, my girlfriend keeps saying I was gangbanged by a bunch of seals. I ain't no Christian, but that's my definition of hell. He totally pours laughingly amidst the tragic event. So he was uh, aggressively molested by a bunch of seals during mating season. Do you think this is a for real thing?
3: I have no idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's,
3: that's an incredible story. Uh, that's I would hope it's not real, but y- you never know about these things.
0: <laughs> right. Well, animals it
3: can do some amazing things.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Well, the seal wraps up. Uh, luckily enough, Pete McAllister was eventually rescued by a Canadian Coast Guard search and rescue patrol. Twenty-four hours, he was found unharmed and is not likely to suffer from any permanent frostbite or injured or injury. Um, I I think if you're molested by a group of SEALs, you are not, by definition, leaving the scene unharmed. What do you think about that?
3: I can't imagine being unharmed in that situation. (laughs) I think I would be scarred for life.
0: Yeah, now... (laughs) In several ways. Well, here's the question. Would you tell anybody?
3: (laughs) Uh, Being me, yeah, probably. Probably. I would... uh, (laughs) I'm a big fan of stories and very uh, open about getting stuff out there so yeah I, I would probably talk about it if it happened but it would be an embarrassing encounter to say the least
0: yeah i would i would tell everybody uh and that way we can prevent it from happening to anybody else you know as a great <laughs> right. yeah yeah just choose to die in the ocean instead <laughs> sounds terrible <laughs> well hey hey um that's all time we have but um I'm, I'm, I'm thank you for coming on the show and um and if there's ever any good news you want to share our way, just gonna kind of drop it on our Facebook page and be happy to share it out for you.
3: Absolutely. Right. Thank you for uh, inviting me on your show.
4: News news fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news.
0: Okay. That was some uh, some really good news, I guess. <laughs> now, here's some bonus content. Uh, this week, the Fish Nerds were on another podcast. The podcast is called The Twisted 10. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. And The Twisted 10, every single week, has a new guest come on and give an original top 10 list. And this week, the Fish Nerds were the special guest. So I did top 10 fishy parents. We pulled this from a bunch of different things we've done in the past, but we like it. I say we, I mean, I like it. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, So check out, here's a sample of the Twisted 10. Again, anywhere you find your podcasts, you can find the Twisted 10. and of course, we'll have links up uh, in the show notes. I also should tell you, this is a rated R piece. uh, And so if you are sensitive to uh, bad language or sex talk, uh, then you may want to skip this segment. Number eight. I was waiting for that. All right. Uh, This is called, You Want Me to Put What Where? Uh, And this is about a blue-lined octopus. This is not a fish, but I like this one a lot. Uh, You're going to like – so male uh, blue-lined octopuses. These are little tiny, like six-inch octopus. They have uh, – one arm is shorter than the rest, and that arm is their sex arm. That's The only job of that arm is to make new
4: octopuses. Is it like the phalange? Is it the – Third leg. Is that his actual, you know, organ? Is that what that is?
0: No. No, it actually uh, delivers a package called a packet of sperm, a handful of sperm, basically, <laughs> to the female. And in order to mate, he has to deliver that sperm under the mantle of the female and impregnate her in her oviducts, right? Am I teaching you about sex? If yes, yes. Are. Are. <laughs> right. learned oh, so yeah. much from you. So, in order to pregnant, he has to do that. Now, uh, they can't tell males from females. They all look the same until you measure that arm or until you try to implant a packet of sperm. So they often will grab other males <laughs> and have a handful of sperm and shove it into the other male until they find out, oh, you're a dude. Oh, oh man. that makes it really awkward the next day in the office. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, hey, sorry, Joe. Didn't mean to do that. And, and then – Then when they act with a female, females are not always receptive to males, just like any other animal. Uh, The males do all the trying to figure out how to get laid work. So these guys want it so bad they will chew their own arm off while it has a packet of sperm. That arm will swim by itself to the female and climb under the mantle and deliver the packet of sperm. <laughs> you're right out of Shit. town. There's no yeah, way. Yeah. No. It's totally
4: real. <laughs> yeah, octopuses are one of the few animals, and correct me here if I'm wrong, Clay, because you're the expert, but octopuses oh. are one of the few animals in the world that actually have... Uh, uh, what could be the equivalent of brain cells throughout mm-hmm. all of their appendages, so they they could act independently? Now it's not a full nervous system that that is uh, along with those arms or tentacles or whatever, mm-hmm. but they do have brain activity as far as their ends of their arms, which is really cool. What?
0: Yeah, you're totally right. And so that arm that that specific arm is job is to make babies, so it drives right into that mantle and delivers it
4: over and over. And over. Oh. you know what this reminds me of? <laughs> Did you ever, Clay, did you ever see the movie uh, Spaceballs? I have, yeah. Do you know, the Spaceballs, uh, John Candy's character was the man dog. Mm-hmm. What was his name? Barf? Yeah. Barf, barf. barf. Yeah. And they were in the bar, and his tail was going up the skirt of the, the waitress behind him. And he's like, I'm sorry. It's got a mind of its own. See, this, this is the barf of the ocean. That's what this mean, is. Barf. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was the
0: uh, number eight. number seven seven number Number seven seven. Seven. Uh, 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 for jay that's for jay thank you i wish jay was here all right so this is (laughs) this is titled what have you done for me lately (laughs) what have you Um, done for me me lately Lately. what What have you done for me lately (laughs) miss jackson if you're nasty (laughs) sorry go ahead clay sorry Uh, and this is the uh, the anglerfish. This is those big, big fish. Oh, those are awesome. The little lantern uh, on top of the fish. Now, here's a really cool thing. Female anglerfish have put up with deadbeat dads uh, who literally attach themselves to the females to become parasites. So here's what happens. Here's how these fish mate. Female anglerfish are big. And the males are tiny, tiny animals. Uh, and they have one job as adults, an adult, and that's to make babies. So these little animals are full of sperm. They find the female, and they bite her. And they don't let go ever again. And they become fused to her body, turning into gonads. And their job is to stay attached to the female until she's ready to reproduce. And their job only delivers sperm when she's ready for her egg laying. So the males literally become fused to the female and become sperm-generating machines to make more babies. No shit. That That doesn't
3: sound romantic at all. (laughs) Well...
0: Yeah, I tell you what, you know, so you think about this, right? Like with animals and with, with most things in life, sex is a dangerous thing. You think about how many animals die to get laid. It must feel good to everybody because the, the amount of work it takes for an octopus or an anglerfish or even some spiders good point. To, to make babies, they die doing it or they get heads eaten up by like other animals. Uh, it must be amazing to be worth all that effort because <laughs> uh, if it sucked- you, you wouldn't have any. I'm gonna I'm gonna have sex with an anglerfish female just the to see. The orgasm
1: of a lifetime. I'll do a whole
0: report on it. And then <laughs> <you know.
4: laughs> now when when the ang- when the male angler by the way, uh, we've got lightning storms right here, so, so figure it out. Uh, that's why nice. Um, but the male anglerfish when it attaches itself, is it mm-hmm. still its own entity, or does it pretty much at that point have dependency on its host until it's ready? It, until it, the female's ready, it,
0: it, it fuses permanently and becomes a parasite. And so it will never let go. So how does it get, like, food? Or? Well, a parasite
4: would live <laughs> off the blood system of the host. I gotcha,
0: but That's right. is it connected like that? It's connected mouth to ass, uh, human centipede style. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that. <laughs>
4: feed, feed.
0: Yeah. Now, what would be
4: really bad is if one of those octopus arms suddenly thinks that male is a, you know, other octopus it needs to mate with. And then you'd have the full strength of the human centipede and fish oh,
0: right <laughs> talking no. about that too far is that too far, right that too that's far?
4: okay that's too far tack keeps me in check clay <laughs> yeah
0: sometimes he goes off on these tangent tangents that you just kind of smile and like that's good you <laughs> tried <laughs> you tried and that's what uh, counts all right so do
4: you guys fish uh no i do not sorry you don't i don't think andrea does i mm-hmm.
3: did you know? when my dad was alive back when i was a kid. i did when i was a
4: kid
0: Alright. When you were a kid fishing freshwater, what was the most common fish you caught? Uh,
4: fish sticks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Adorable.
0: Oh wait, freshwater? Yeah. I don't remember ever fishing in freshwater. Well, most I grew up in Florida when cat? catfish caught catfish. They
1: were gray. Is
0: that freshwater? Or is that saltwater? That's saltwater. saltwater. Well, well right? I guess that's
4: brackish too, isn't it?
0: Catfish are everywhere. Yeah. So but the most common freshwater fish people fish for are are little sunfish. Little cute. Sunfish. They're everywhere. you got them in Florida, and they have different names everywhere you go. But uh, our, our friend, the bluegill sunfish, one of our very common uh, fish here in North America, uh, he has the award for the uh, most understood spouse ever. And here's why. Uh, sunfish are very territorial. The males, the bulls, the big tough ones build these huge nests, right? They're big, they're called reds. They're big circles in the sand. They're like 24 inches across. Yeah, and they guard that like crazy. They don't let anybody, any other male come in. But females come on in and they're like, oh, come on, baby, come on in here. And they'll have a harem of females. <laughs> and their job is to like, get those females' legs and spawn with them. Uh, but, but there are other males who want to mate with those females that are in that, in that nesting area. And those are called sneaker males. And they want to sneak in and spawn with those females. To do so, they have to disguise themselves, right? This goes back to oh,
4: your old Bugs Bunny days, right? Oh, no, wait. Yeah. Is this too Wong Fu? Is that what's about to happen here? Yeah, it's very
0: Bosom It rotten. does sound very like Tijuana. Is this, was this in Tijuana? <laughs> yeah. So, so the sneaker males actually physically change their body color and their structure a little bit until they look just like female bluegills. And they swim up to the big... Bulls, and they're like, hey, sweetheart, I'm going to come in. He's like, yeah, oh, come on. I'm going to have you in here. And they go in there, and then they're like, hey, baby, it's just me. And the females are so impressed, they spawn with him, and his genes get spread, and the big bull is sitting there going, I need more ladies. So he <laughs> doesn't know that there's all kinds of orgy happening right behind him while those sneaker males are sneaking in. Ah. So, Bluegill, our most understood spouse. So the uh, females are impressed that the males acted like women yeah because they worked so hard to get in there that, wow. that's a, I think I'll finally I would be successful then <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's a ninja fish uh, yeah so i i clay I'm a fish I have a fished really in probably the last year and a half however I'm a big fisherman down here as well um here in the intercoastal waterways I would usually my favorite fish to catch down here is snook that is by far oh, they're my favorite they're, they're they they mm-hmm. they put up a good fight but when I was uh I guess I was about fourteen. Maybe maybe 15 down at my grandparents' place down in Vero Beach, right on the intercoastal waterway. I had the biggest fight on a fishing pole that I ever had, and it was in the intercoastal. It was not a surf fish or deep sea or anything. I fought with this, whatever the hell was on the end of this line, for probably a good two hours. And for a 14, 15-year-old kid, that's a lot of time, especially on a rig that's probably less than 100 bucks. And uh, my father came out, my grandfather came out, and I got this thing. I finally pulled this thing all the way up to the shore. And it's not like a joke or anything. It was actually a real animal, but it was a, uh, it was about an 80 pound skate or oh. kind of similar to like a stingray or something. But it, yeah. it put up the biggest fight and it, I was fishing on sailor's choice. So we would cast net, get some sailor's choice, hook them and then send that out further. And, uh, sure thing that it was a fun fight. My, it was bigger than the, than the net that I had to lift it up out of the water. Mm-hmm. We cut well, it free. We can't, I mean, we couldn't eat it. We didn't know how to prepare anything like that. So we set that thing free.
0: But the fun thing about catching skates is they always feel bigger than they are because of their body shape. So they get sideways in the water and they're like a big kite and they're just catching. It's like a sailboat coming in in the water and just dragging all that water behind them. So great fun. I love, I love skates.
4: Absolutely. Hmm. My kids, we've taken, uh, we've taken my kid, uh, my son's 13. Uh, Andrea's daughter is 12. And, uh, we take them over to my folks place over here in Merritt Island and, uh, we let them fish with shrimp for a little while right off the dock. And nine times out of 10, they don't catch anything for about 30 minutes. And with kids, even you said this on your last episode, you got to keep them entertained. Like when you took them Mm -hmm. out on that uh, deep sea uh, fishing expedition, Uh, you got to keep them busy. You know, kids watching a bobber is not going to keep them busy. So I had it ready here in the intercoastal down here. You chop up a hot dog, throw a sinker on it. Every single time you're going to catch a catfish. And sure enough, throw it down there. They're going to have fun. We throw them back. We don't don't catch so that's it. You've listened to a whole bunch
0: of fish nerds when you should have been doing anything else. Of course, I want to thank our families for letting this podcast and do all these nerdy things. And big thank you to Doc Martin and Fish Guy Josh for coming back to the show with their new segment, Fish of the Day. We look forward to all the future stuff they're going to bring us. Big thank you to the Twist Ten and, of course, uh, to Mike from uh, Duluth for sharing the uh, uh, story with us, uh, and so until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd: spawn early and often, avoid free lunches with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. Uh, and uh, the show, um, yeah, that's it. We're done. I'll talk to you. <laughs> I'll talk to you next week.